Welcome to Humans Are Us. Human lives, human stories. A podcast about ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are the stories of people that said yes to themselves. Their experiences have helped to make them who they are in this moment. By sharing their personal stories, we hope to inspire others to live their truth. This is a podcast about growth and being one's true, authentic self. Please be advised, this podcast contains adult content and language. Opinions expressed in this show are just that, opinions. And any health-related discussions do not constitute medical advice. Welcome to Humans Are Us. I'm your host, MJ Love. On this episode, I speak with Sophie, a queer writer, trans history researcher, and entrepreneur. They are eloquent and have so much to say on the topic of being a trans human. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. I know I learned so much from Sophie's experience. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sophie, for being here with me today. Thank you. Well, let's just get right into it. Can we talk about your journey of becoming the beautiful and amazing trans woman that you are today? Uh, yeah, sure. Just starting off with the uh, the softball questions, are we? Just uh... I was going to say, we're starting off really <laughs> Yeah, <slow>. no kidding. <laughs> um, all right. So in trans circles, there's a concept of being an egg. And being an egg is basically a trans person who hasn't figured out that they're trans yet. The idea is that when the egg hatches, a chick comes out. Um, so it was originally for like trans women, but it's expanded and it's now for all stripes of trans folks. In retrospect, I have plenty of egg-like memories, the sorts of things that, you know, you don't realize are indicative of you being trans until you put all the pieces together. And then you're like, oh, right. My earliest memory is of uh, reading this book when I was a kid, and I don't remember who the writer is, and I don't remember what it was called. And it was about a boy who somehow got into his head that if he kissed his elbow, he would turn into a girl. And I then spent several hours that evening trying to kiss my elbow and I can't do it. Um, I don't know if you can do it, but it's hard. I've met a couple people who can, and it's it's wild because for me, like I can't even come close. Apparently from a young age, I really wanted to be a girl. And I thought this was just a normal thing to think about. But in retrospect, it's clearly not. Most boys don't want to be girls. Other events happen. I discover, it's it's sad to say, but I discovered that trans people exist through internet porn because that at the time was really the only representation that I saw of people like me. It was either internet porn or mentally ill men in dresses. The, the punchline of a joke on a crappy sitcom or crummy movie or something. And then I, uh, you know, I, I started to put two and two together when I was around 18. And then I spent the next 14 years pretending to be a guy until it was just after New Year's and I was putting my New Year's resolutions together. And a little voice in the back of my mind kept saying, make these resolutions, work toward your goals, achieve them, don't achieve them. Who cares? You're not going to be happy. And you know the reason why. And at that point, I was, I, I realized that I didn't really have much of a choice. And so that was, uh, that was about 
three and a half years ago. You pretended for 14 years to be something that you truly weren't. And like you went for it. You had like a big beard. Do you think you went that way to, I don't know, show yourself that this was okay and this was who you were? It's interesting because there's this um, there's this concept called gender dysphoria, which you know is like I'm I'm miserable living as this gender, and so I want to transition, and that is the experience for many trans people, but not all trans people. It's becoming a, a newer conversation topic. I don't want to say new because it's been talked about for a few years now, but a newer conversation topic within trans circles that you don't need to have dysphoria in order to be trans. And for me, that was kind of the case. And I think that's part of why I I took so long to transition because it wasn't so much that I hated living as a guy as much as it was that I'm so much happier being a woman. You know, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to hate your job to know that you want something more out of life, right? You don't have to, I don't know, I, I could make a thousand analogies, but you, you don't necessarily have to be running away from something. You can be running towards something and the draw can be just as strong. Thank you for that. Cause that is a perspective I don't, well, I have not heard before. And because I don't think that's the narrative that is being told around trans lives. I was watching the interview with Elliot Page that Oprah did, and they were saying how they can't even look at themselves in dresses. Like it makes them physically ill and it makes them very upset. So it's interesting to have your perspective where you don't have that type of bodily even reaction to the person you were presenting to be before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would rather die than go back to the way it was. And I mean that quite literally and quite frankly, but at the same time, I I don't, I don't feel the same, the same revulsion towards my former self as people like Elliot Page do. I, I think Elliot Page's experience with their pre-transition self is probably more of the norm than my experience, but hey, it's still there. And uh, it turns out that trans people are all different. So it's, it's not a monolith of experience. Yes, trans people are human beings. And as human beings, trans people are all different. And hearing your story, I think, is so important because of that, because you are talking again about a narrative that isn't what's out there now in talking about people who are trans, because usually it is more around that gender dysphoria narrative. I always wonder about why the dysphoria idea has become the dominant narrative. And I, I think to a certain extent, as I mentioned before, it's probably more of the norm. But at the same time, it could just be like a sampling thing that more people have realized they were trans through their dysphoria than they have through their, well, gender euphoria is more of what I've experienced, right? And I wonder sometimes if 
it's become the norm because of the way that it focuses on misery and how uh, one of the defining features to to kind of the cis narrative is that a trans life is a life of misery. And in order to be trans, you must necessarily, by definition, be miserable. I think that's bullshit. I, um, I don't know. My life is pretty cool in a lot of ways. I uh, Obviously, I have my issues. And I mean, we're in quarantine, so how cool can it be? But at the same time, trans lives can have some joy in them, too. And in a lot of cases, that's true. It doesn't need to be this whole narrative, like you were saying. And I wonder perhaps that there is this cis narrative around the fact that, you know, you're so miserable in your own body that that's the only reason you would choose to be a trans person because you, it's that or complete and utter misery of feeling in your own body. For cis people, the idea of switching to a different gender is probably probably I say because I'm not cis surprise but the um, idea of you know altering your body to change it to a different gender gender is probably horrifying and so they're like oh my god why would you do such a thing to yourself why would you do XYZ surgeries and treatments and make yourself grow boobs and all that stuff why would you do that oh my god it must be because you were so miserable to a certain extent, maybe, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think gender dysphoria also might come out of the medical community. I have a friend who is um, a doctor and she specializes in trans medicine. And that's something she talked about a lot is this idea of gender dysphoria. And for her, I think as a cis woman, she is kind of coming at it from a, you know, a cis woman perspective. Doctors, I think, would I would think it would maybe be harder even still to get medical care if you don't present in that typical, you know, I have gender dysphoria kind of way because getting medical care as a trans person can be quite challenging. And it that's true. So in order to in in Ontario, at least um, I can't speak to other jurisdictions, of course, but in Ontario, the laws are such that in order to get access to gender-affirming treatments, you have to be formally diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And that is the way the medical system has been set up. Is it transphobic? Yes, absolutely. I mean, as humans living in the crummy capitalist world that we live in, we're constantly faced with the idea of this system sucks. I hate this. But in order to gain access to what I need to gain access to, sometimes I have to play the game. And so when my doctor asked, checked all the boxes, I mean, the answers are pretty obvious. They're kind of leading you towards what they want you to say. And so I just gave her the answers she needed. And that gave me access to the care I needed. Am I a liar? Am I just doing what I need to do to exist within a system that's designed by cis people. I don't know. But uh, but it, to, to, to answer your question of, of um, how has my experience been within the medical community, um, I haven't faced a lot of transphobia, I guess, a lot of really terrible attitudes. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that because not everyone can say that. 
the reality is that research dollars go for for medicine for healthcare go places where they are going to make the most money and that's the reality of the world we live in and there's not a whole lot of money in trans healthcare so as a result there hasn't been a lot of research in how to transition us and so the most common testosterone blocker is something called spironolactone which is a diuretic so you are constantly going to the bathroom tmi maybe trigger warning i'm talking about pee here and uh the um the side effects include depression and chronic fatigue which i deal with already so it sucked to be on that and my doctor was like them's the breaks kid so i found that um I had to do a lot of my own research and discover my own drugs. And in a way, I kind of had to bully my doctor into to giving me what I needed or referring me to somebody who would. In a kind way, of course, I wasn't like <laughs> flipping tables over or anything, but um, I made it very clear that I wasn't going to leave without, um, without the answers that I needed. So for someone who is in that position like you were, because that sounds like an awful solution, um, that first drug you mentioned, I guess, where did you find these resources to help you be your own advocate? Yeah, good question. I found the research of a doctor named Dr. Powers, uh, Dr. Will Powers, um, who I know, right? I know it's, it's, I know. He sounds like like the villain from a James Bond movie or something. It's hilarious. Um, Anyway, he's a, he's a. That is an amazing name, by the way. It sounds made up. (laughs) A medical doctor in uh, like a, like a family practitioner in, I think, Michigan. And um, he's done a lot of research on transitioning trans people, both trans feminine and trans masculine. I kind of used a lot of his research as a, a jumping off point, but at the same time, I'm not a medical doctor. This is not medical advice. So so I was listening to a book, which kind of had nothing to do with transness, but called The Coddling of the American Mind. The author talks about an incident that happened at an American university where a professor had students read an article about a young trans person who used the girl's locker room in her high school totally normal. That's where she should be. And apparently not all opinions in this article were kind. And as a result, the students complained and filed a report against him because they were upset by the content in the article. As a result of that, instead of the students being told, you know, not everything you read is going to be kind and unicorns. The professor was advised to avoid talking about transgender topics in the future. Now, obviously, this could be a contentious issue at this university, and that's on them. But I was wondering, you know, the professor said that his goal here was to facilitate, like, a a discussion. I don't know who this professor is, and I don't know what's in their heart and what... um their past record has been like when it comes to discussing trans issues, discussing the issues of marginalized people. 
is this professor themselves trans? I, I, I don't know. And so I, I don't think there are enough questions or there's enough information there for me to say one way or another. Um, however, what I will say is that it's quite common for, for cis people to use our existence and our rights and our access to basic societal amenities that the rest of the world takes for granted as a way to explore things from a theoretical perspective to say, oh, well, should this be allowed? Let's have an open discussion in the classroom. And those sorts of discussions are almost never productive because I mean, either you're for it or you're against it going into that conversation. And it puts, if there were any trans people in that class, I don't know if there were, or any people who were were eggs who were uh, trying to figure out whether or not they were trans. Conversations like that can often create an environment where, where trans people don't feel welcome because, I mean walking into a room and looking around and thinking, oh, wow. Okay. So yesterday we were in class and about 38% of you are not in favor of my rights. And about 40% of you think I'm horrible. And, you know, that, that sort of anxiety in just walking into the classroom is or just walking into your job or just walking into just walking into the coffee shop that's the sort of anxiety that a lot of trans people live with every day of their lives and um i mean it's no uh it's no coincidence that i chose a career where i could work from home um so in a lot of ways i wouldn't have to deal with that sort of sort of um heaviness as much in a lot of ways i don't think cis people having open debates about whether or not trans people deserve rights is a productive conversation. And I don't think they have anything to add to the conversation. Thank you for that. Because I, it struck me as an odd situation all around when I heard it. And I was kind of like, I feel like everyone is wrong in this situation. To your point then, what can cis people do or should they do anything to I don't know, help make things better or stand beside trans people as I really hope the world gets over their shit and just accepts trans people as human beings and we're done. Thoughts on that? To kind of like end those discussions and maybe not have productive discussions because I agree, like me as a cis woman has nothing to really input here, because I don't have your experience, right? And is there anything that can be done? I think it's really important to recognize as a cis person walking into a conversation about transness that you are not and never will be and cannot be an expert on the subject. And as a result, it, you know, it, it's, it's really important to, to listen and to ask questions um, and to 
it's 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 a humbling experience to recognize that you don't you don't know and something that one can understand from an intellectual level is quite different than what someone understands from a visceral deep level i think of it the same way as i think about racism in a way i've never experienced racism i'm a white girl in conversations about racism I have to sit down and shut up in a lot of ways. And I have to allow those conversations to take place and listen and do my best to uh, to understand and then take those lessons that I've learned into conversations with my white friends about what others... Honestly, I mean, the world is such a mess right now. So it's it's hard to say one way or another, but a really big part of it is to listen, to listen to the experiences of, of marginalized people. Thank you very much for sharing that. I think myself and so many people can learn from what you just said, because it is, it's hard for certain people to just sit and listen and learn and not have an opinion. It's something you have to learn. In a lot of ways, our culture discourages you from ever being wrong. I mean, you think about, I don't know, rewind your brain back to the sixth grade and you get a spelling test back you got 19 out of 20. What do you fixate on? The 19 you got right? No, you fixate on the one thing you got wrong. And it doesn't feel good to be wrong about things, for sure. For a lot of us, we feel like we need to have an answer to everything. Sometimes it's okay to just not know the answer. And it's not going to create a big red X on your forehead where you walk around and everyone's like, oh, look at that loser. They don't know anything. That's that's not how reality works, but that's how our school system trains us. So, And it's not even with like heavy conversations either. I went out on a date with someone last summer who had interned at NASA. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to shut up and listen to you because you are so cool. Sometimes you can you can discover a lot more by just shutting up and listening. Yeah, I that is just so cool. I'm sure you learned so much. Oh my God, it was amazing. Good on you. Great date. I know, right? <laughs> well, I wish you more of those lovely dates. Why, thank you. As an older woman, um, dating has um, lost its luster. So it's lovely to hear stories like that. Now, yeah. Well, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I'm no spring chicken. I am 36, so. It just shows you that it happened last summer. So magic can come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of magic, you're pretty darn magical. Like you said, you work from home because you you have your own business. You do SEO stuff. First client was a naturopathic doctor and you made their practice the number one practice in London where you live. In Actually, he was a doctor in Toronto and I made his practice the number one practice in Toronto. My apologies, the number one practice in Toronto. Either way, it's a big deal. Now you've been doing this for quite some time. And obviously things have changed in the world of the interwebs. Can you talk about like the beginning of being an entrepreneur and then any advice for people who are trying to start out? Because I feel like right now everyone is scrambling and COVID, maybe we're not going to go back to the way things are. So being an entrepreneur is kind of what's happening for a lot of people. I don't know. In some ways, I feel like I'm a bit of a bad entrepreneur because I don't do a lot of the entrepreneurial things that other folks do. That being said, if you had talked to me 10 years ago before I started my business and you had told me 
first of all, you told me I'd be a girl. I'd be like, what? But also um, that I was going to be essentially selling for a living. I would be shocked because in a lot of ways we have this, especially when it comes to sales, we have this idea that it's like, you think of sales, you think of like this, like slimy used car dealership, who's going to like try and take advantage of you. And like, you say whatever you want to make a sale is tell the customer what they want to hear. I think of those like scams that call little old ladies and get them to buy these like commemorative coins that are worthless. That's what I always thought about when I thought of sales. And yet once I actually started, I mean, at first it was absolutely terrifying. I would pick up the phone, someone would hang up on me and it would like be like deeply, deeply impactful. Once we got that client to the top of Google and he started getting like five or six new patients a day. And I started realizing like, oh my God, I'm, I'm really good at this. <laughs> we are really good at this. Cause I have a team, like we, uh, my business partner and my, my, uh, my freelancers, like we're, we're really good at this. We're doing a good job. There was a bit of a switch in my mindset from I'm bothering these people. They're, you know, they're annoyed whenever I'm calling to I'm doing you a favor by calling you because your business could explode by working with me. You want to hang up on me? Fine. I'll work with the guy across the street. It gave me this kind of almost cockiness that not arrogance, but cockiness, if that makes sense. Uh, Like I, I, I feel like cockiness is maybe like a step down. Like I'm not a jerk, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm confident. And I, and I know, I know that I'm good at what I do. I know that if you have a business, I I work with service oriented local businesses. And if you have a business like that, I know I can help you. I just realize I need to bring it back to answer the question that you just asked me. Confidence talk. Look how much you've grown and bloomed and you're, you're so good at your job. And I think that's such a beautiful story in itself, but sure. You can take it back. (laughs) Well, it, it, I, I just think that it's important to not close yourself off from potential new experiences and potential new directions your career can take you. Because again, if you told me 10 years ago that I was going to be making my living through sales, I would have been like, oh my God, that's horrible. That sounds like a nightmare. And yet, it's pretty cool. Like some of my clients have become good friends and I work with cool people. Don't, don't be afraid of where your career will take you and don't say no just because of preconceived notions about what you think something is going to be like. I think that's a good life lesson in general, to be honest, not just your career, but you never know where life's going to take you. You just got to give it a, give it a go. Very true. When I started my business, I'd been doing some freelance blogging for a while. I'm still doing blogging today. I love it. It's great. But my business partner, my my current business partner, who was just a friend of mine back then, reached out and was like, I want to start an internet marketing company and I hate writing and you clearly don't. So do you want to partner up? And I said, sure, let's do it. Of course, it was scary and it was like overwhelming. But at the same time, what's the worst that can happen? Again, that is such a good nugget. You know, what is the worst that could happen? It doesn't work out and you try something else. And you were blogging. You were fine. Yeah. No, and I think that's such a good, you know, way to look at 
the potential that life has to offer. Things are scary. I get that. But look where the scary thing took you. It's true. It's true. And I'm so grateful for that in many ways. Not the least of which is that in all the turmoil and uproar and uncertainty of the last year, well, really two years for me in my personal life, the one constant for me has been my business. Especially in Ontario, have been stuck in our homes a lot. And that could be quite upsetting and depressing, frankly. Feels never ending. I think we've all lost a sense of time. But has this time in isolation and COVID time brought you anything unexpected that has surprised you in a good way? In a couple ways, yeah. Um, I found that I was more creative than I've been in a long time. I've written about a dozen short stories in lockdown, which has been pretty cool because for a long time I had a real significant case of creative block. Well, it's not a lot of fun. Breaking through that barrier and being able to to write creatively again has been really nice. The world started to go dark. Um, my my roommate at the time was an ICU nurse, so I didn't feel safe at home. So I uh, came to stay with my mother for what I thought would be a couple of weeks. And, you know, none of us expected to be here a year and a half later. I've discovered a new sense of gratitude in what I do have. I don't like to come at gratitude from the perspective of it could be worse. Look at those people who are suffering more than me. So I should be grateful because I mean, first of all, the fact that other people are suffering more than me doesn't make me feel good, but more just in a being grateful for the experiences that life has given me. Wow. You're just full of beautiful life lessons today. I feel like I went to a wise woman and she's imparted all these lovely tidbits about life. And um, thank you for that. Because I think we all need that right now. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, this time with me. The way you have just shared your story is so important. We need to hear more stories like yours. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's been nice. And uh, thank you. Thank you for those words. Uh, Mm, yes, very wise I am. Why did I do that? God, that was so embarrassing. And now it's going to be on a podcast on the internet for everyone to hear forever. What have I done? Oh, well, you're just being you. And I am grateful for that. Um, so if people want to, you know, get to know more about you or, I don't know, read some of the things you write that... Um, you know, stories or anything else, where can they find all those wonderful things? My website is um, sbedwards.co. That's where you can find links to all my published work as well as my YouTube channel. Um, Probably more interesting on Instagram. Uh, You can grab me there at queer.trans.writer.sophie. Well, I follow you on Instagram and it is delightful. You always love that's where you isn't it? It is. I don't know. So you seem to get outside more than me. So I mean, if by outside you mean like my backyard, then yes. You make it look like you're somewhere 
delicious. Oh, that, you know what, there is a, and this is one of the nice things about moving out of Toronto is there's a lot more nature. And like, as far as big cities go, Toronto's pretty good with having a good balance of nature and city, but it's still a big city. There's a forest just across the street from, uh, from the place I'm staying right now, just keeps going. So I like to spend a lot of time in there. That's probably the pictures you're thinking of. Yeah, that please keep posting those because they are delightful. Um, Because I live in Toronto, and though I get to go to the lake, it's not the same as the forest. I got. I have to scream somewhere, and usually I don't get as many weird looks if I scream in a forest. Well, there's your last tip from uh, Sophie. (laughs) You have to scream. Go do it in the forest. Exactly. MJ, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Humans Are Us. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to rate and review. Loved this episode? Please share it with a loved one and help grow the Humans Are Us community. Connect with me on Instagram at humansareus or visit the website humansareus.com.